Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development of your areas of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what we call the TLC arena. If you've not listened before, my name is Greg Gregory, the founder and host of the Teamwork Advantage. And we're in our fifth season, and we're so excited with the way things are going, with the people we're getting, and the feedback we're getting. We've now been downloaded in over 59 countries. So uh, what we talk about here is universal around the world, and we're going to carry that on today with a topic around emotional intelligence. So I want to invite you to join in, sit back, get your pens out. If you're listening to this while you're walking the dog or driving the car, just bookmark this, and you're going to want to come back and pick up some pieces and pieces as we go through this next 45 or so minutes. Lisa Welsher is a management consultant turned emotional intelligence aficionado. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Early on in her career, Lisa founded a software company and a management consulting practice. She and a team would primarily work in transforming information technology, the sector, focused on system implementations and process improvement. Well, we've got a lot of folks that listen here in the IT sector with help desk, so I know this is going to be real helpful with some of that information as well. Over the course of close to 30 years, Lisa has had the opportunity to work with leading companies such as Merck and Company, Dow Jones, Pricewaterhouse, Coopers. Uh, Sharp Electronics, Goldman Sachs, MedStar Health, New York University, as well as other Fortune 500 companies. She knows from firsthand experience that multi-million dollar investments and processes and improvement initiatives and technology, those solutions help to improve performance. Now, performance is also enhanced by great teamwork, and we're going to try and marry those two together. But they never solve the undercurrent people-related problems, and that's where emotional intelligence and teamwork start to intersect. It's a simple question, Lisa says, that led her down a path discovering what she likes to refer to as an overlooked superpower. I'm excited about that because as we get into times, everybody loves superpowers. When you have a team of resources and know how to work with their emotions rather than against them, let's face it, a lot of people know how to trigger people. You know, it's an absolute game changer. She now focuses her time and energy on next generation EI emotional intelligence. Her Empowered by Emotions program. That's right, Empowered by Emotions. Folks, it's not foo-foo, okay? Uh, This program teaches people how to work with their emotions rather against them so they can navigate, one of my favorite words, and navigate conflict and challenging relationships with greater ease and effectiveness. She and her active dog, Tucker, divide the time between their cabin in Pennsylvania, endless mountains, and the sunny area of Tampa, Florida. Lisa Welcher, thank you so much for being with us. That's a lot of information in there we've got to cover now, so let's get to it. How are you this morning? Great. I'm doing really well. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you inviting me and agreeing to have me on your show, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. This is going to be a lot of fun. I want, I'd want. i like to go with our guests right off the bat and say, 
where'd you get here? You didn't wake up one day, say you wanted to find a, a start a, a software company. You didn't wake up, say you're going to be a consultant. You didn't wake up, saying you're going to be an emotional intelligence aficionado. Hmm. Where'd you come from? Uh, we were talking off here earlier. You said you grew up in New Jersey. So how did you get from New Jersey to where you are today? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I'll do my best to answer it in an efficient way. Um, I can say I've always had a love for business and people. So growing up, it's a little bit of a, a joke with my parents. I didn't play with baby dolls as a kid. I love children, but I always loved to play office. So I was routinely um, cutting up paper. A little known fact about me, I made a paper chain when I was little by stapling links of paper together that was over two miles long. So I just loved doing things that were with office supplies, etc. And I came from an entrepreneurial family. My mother owned her own business and my dad was a president of a McGraw-Hill company. So I, I was kind of aligned with business and mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. But where I was going to land in my business experience was unknown. I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do. And I think the best way to summarize it, Greg, is I've, I've basically had a pretty wonderful portfolio career. I worked for um, uh, Merrill Lynch coming out of college, which gave me a good experience working with a corporation. From there, I went into Manhattan and worked for Coopers and Librin, Standard & Poor's, so mm -hmm. had that inside experience. But I always knew I wanted to do my own thing. I always knew I wanted to be yeah. an entrepreneur. Um, so in my late 20s, I went out on my own, left Manhattan, started as an independent consultant, and from there, created a boutique consulting organization, so less than a dozen consultants. Um, and that's where I learned a lot about the importance of delivering what you promise. So mm -hmm. really, as a consultant, I didn't want to be one of those folks who would go in and just tell people what to do and then kind of exit without actually causing results or impacting results. Right. Um, and right around that time with the internet, I started a small software company that focused on policy and procedure management. That was an excellent experience. So in addition to the management consulting, then I enjoyed the opportunity to have a software company um, that provided great experiences working with different, com different companies relative right. to process improvements. And then I went back to the management consulting after um, finishing up with the software company. And it really has been probably, I'd say, for the past 15 years that I've really doubled down on studying emotional intelligence. Because as I became wiser, if you will, in my experiences with my clients, it was that underlying issue that related to people that no technology and automation was ever going to solve, no process improvement issue was ever going to solve. Yep. Um, I kind of equate it to the intersection where you talk about, you know, teamwork, leadership, and the culture that you really need all three of those. And the it's Venn similar. diagram. Yeah, absolutely. And the intersection of those being the sweet spot. So it's similar that, you know, you can think along the lines of the people process and technology, right? It's the people portion of it. And um, I, the more I've learned about emotional intelligence, the more I realize it really is an up and coming advantage that a lot of organizations are not yet latching onto and understanding that if you can really get a team of people to work together, 
that's a game changer, yeah. right? So, so that's it, the, it that, yeah, that's the quick where I landed in emotional intelligence, how I got there. It's been a passion. Um, I had the opportunity to basically pursue it two years ago full time, but the course that I've developed is over a decade in the making. You know, it's it certainly has taken it's me an a overnight long. success and it took 20 years to get there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um I've learned a lot. I think there's a lot of lessons that you learn when you are self-employed and you are an entrepreneur. Um I've certainly had ups and downs and the lessons have been um, some of them have been more difficult to learn than others, but it's been a, a great, a great ride, if you will. And that's how I'd sum up my portfolio career. Awesome. You know, what you said was very powerful because it's backed up from a lot of our other guests that we've had on uh, talking about, you know, pulling things together and getting people to work on and the human side of things, whether it's human resources professionals we've had or what. But I'm also reminded of uh, something I heard Patrick Lencioni tell me uh, about five years ago, seven years ago, I guess now. Uh, he says, CEOs are often worried about the health of their company, but not the health of the company financially, strategically, or any other way. Mm-hmm. Not in those directions at all. Mm-hmm. He's worried about the health of the people and not the not their physical health, but the health of the organization coming together as people. Sure. And that's what CEOs, that's what keeps a lot of CEOs away behind. Sure. In your bio and the introduction, you mentioned there was a, I'm going to use the words you use. I think you said a simple question. Mm -hmm. Okay. That kind of led you down to what you talk about as an overlooked superpower. Let's get right into this. I want to know, first off, what's a superpower and what's the question that we should be asking ourselves possibly? Sure, sure. Well, the the question may not resonate, but the question for me, I was with one of my best friends and she was navigating a a particularly difficult time um, and was describing a situation that she encountered. And I said, well, you know, what are you, are you angry about it? Are you, you know, anxious about it? Like, what are you feeling? And she looked at me and she said, with great conviction, she said, I have no idea. I don't know even the difference between an emotion and a feeling. So I don't know if I'm angry or anxious or afraid, and I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know if there's a difference between those two. And I realized I didn't know if there was a difference between those two. And one of the things that I'll share, Greg, is Right now, if you were to ask a hundred thought leaders, clinicians, researchers who specialize and focus on the space of emotions, you can ask a hundred of them a question, the same question, and you're going to get a hundred different answers. Yeah, right? and geez, a lot of times I ask a hundred people a simple question to give me a hundred and one different answers. Yes, uh. e- easily, absolutely. So where I've landed. And I like to think of myself as kind of like I'm the DJ. I'm the curator that does a ton of reading, does a ton of researching, attends a lot of different programs. And then I pull the best of the best together to create a great playlist, right? So one of the things that um, I refer to them as key concepts, one of the key concepts that I teach is the difference between an emotion and a feeling. And you can think of the feelings 
as the physical manifestation in your body, right? So when anxiety activates, it's often accompanied by the stress hormones that basically, you know, um, come from head to toe within your body. So feelings being the bodily manifestation, the physiological manifestation mm -hmm. that's caused from the various different kinds of hormones and anxiety or excitement, believe it or not, result in the same types of hormones and in many cases, the same type of physical feelings, but they're two completely different emotions. Oh, absolutely. Right? So. Yeah. So ultimately, that was that really started the clock on my journey towards saying, I'm going to find out the answer to that question. And then it was just one thing after another. The more I learned, the more I said, wait a minute, this emotional intelligence, this is a superpower. If people can learn how to work with their emotions rather than working against them, it's a game changer. But I looked all around me, myself included, and not a lot of people can tell you what the difference between anxiety and fear is. Not a lot of people can tell you why anger activates. And that was one of the biggest ahas for me when I studied under um, somebody who basically she taught me there are no negative emotions. Emotions activate for a reason. They're like your lungs, your heart, your liver, your spleen. They serve a purpose. So when you learn how to work with your emotions rather than working against them, that's the superpower. Mm -hmm. It is life changing. I'm fascinated because as soon as you said, um, what's the difference between emotions and feelings? I started going, I never even thought about that question. That that was my experience. I had never even thought about it, much less even given it a thing. And then anxiety and fear. Yes. That's okay. It's I love what I call barometer measurements. Mm -hmm. To take you one side to the other. It's like, okay, point, counterpoint, things like that. And yeah. it's just it's it's really, really fascinating to help understand that. So can you give us a, I don't know, a one minute response to the difference between emotions and feelings? Yes, I would, I would, I would say in the same thing, I would, I would repeat what I said in the sense that well, I'll add a little bit to it. Here's, here's another kind of core fundamental understanding when it comes to emotions. So I said, there are no negative emotions. And emotions, you can think of them, they serve a purpose. They're like signals. So if you think along the lines, here are a couple of um, myth busters, if you will, right? Here are a couple of things to consider. There's a thought, whether you're conscious of it or not, there is a thought behind every emotion that activates. So I'm a big process person. So I love the logical organization okay. of things. So you have a circumstance. The mind thinks a thought in order to interpret that circumstance. And the third thing that comes thereafter is an emotion activating. So you have a circumstance. 
The mind thinks the thought, and that's what causes the emotion to activate. Okay, so take something on a very personal level at this point. If I if my dog gets away. Gets away? Gets away. Yes. I'm emotionally like distraught. I'm upset. I'm scared. I'm crying. All those are emotions. Okay. So I'm going to take it all the way through. So okay. the circumstance, the dog gets away. Your thought is he might get hurt. That's what would cause the emotion to activate. And at that point, the body is flooding with hormones that are in alignment with that emotion. So the emotion is fear and the hormones, the physical manifestation of that, those are feelings. So for you, your feelings could be a racing heart. For me, my feelings could be that I get physically sweaty. So if you just make the distinction of saying the feelings is the physical manifestation, how it translates into your body. My knees feel wobbly. My throat feels tight. My shoulders are tight. My jaw is clenched, right? Okay. But I might clench my jaw when I'm angry. I might also clench my jaw when I'm afraid. Okay. And if I take that all the way through, there's the circumstance, your dog gets away. There's a thought. You think he's going to potentially get hurt. The emotion activates. So again, there's an emotion that activates in response to the thoughts that you're thinking. After the emotion comes the actions that you take. So the four steps, you've got the circumstance, the thought, the emotion that activates, and that's when you then take action. So I'm going to tie this back to your the the um, three the intersection of the teams, the leadership, and the culture. Okay. So if the action that you take is not suitable for that particular emotion, it's going to stay active. So at emotions are action requiring. So now that that action, that emotion is active, it's looking for you to take a suitable action. If you just sat down in your chair and did nothing to go find that dog, your fear is going to remain active. Right. It's designed to motivate you to take a suitable action. So if your fear is active and you get in your car and you start driving around, you may still be physically jittery, but that's an action that's in alignment with what fear is looking for you to do. Right. So if I'm right? looking for, if I'm not actively looking for the dog, that's taking an action which is congruent with trying to take care of. Yes. But all so, the while, I'm still anxious and crying because he's not there. So, okay. Okay. So now let's take that to the business world. Okay. 
the business world has historically treated emotions as something that we really shouldn't talk that much about. Or as I described it in your introduction, foo-foo. Yes. So the foo-foo association with emotions is just such a disservice to professionals and leaders. We think that conversations about emotions should happen within the confines of a therapist's office. And this is such an important myth to bust. You absolutely can learn about emotions outside of the therapeutic setting. It doesn't mean that there's not a place and an appropriate um, place for therapy. Of course there is. But people are missing this opportunity, an educational opportunity, to learn about their emotions because of this association, because of this stigma that we think, oh, no, emotions are, you know, foo-foo. Emotions are, you know, that's, that's like a kumbaya circle, right? You know, that's not for the workplace. But here's the thing. If you go back to what we just described, which is there are no negative emotions. Emotions activate for a reason. And if you think along the lines that emotions are action requiring, they are looking for you to take an action in response to it activating. If you have a culture made up of people who are being told emotions don't belong in the workplace, that's like asking people to swim up current. That's asking people to do something that that just doesn't doesn't make sense. It's not Mm going to work. That's like trying to drive without wheels. That's like trying to breathe without oxygen. So if you understand, if you are a leader, and you understand emotions activate for a reason, and you understand why anger, for instance, activates. Anger is an emotion that activates when someone does something or something occurs that violates one of your beliefs. Plain and simple. If you're a leader who understands that, and someone on your team is angry, Mm -hmm. instead of trying to ignore or tell someone in a meeting, hey, guys, I don't want anybody getting angry here. It's counterintuitive. It's not in alignment with the way emotions are designed to work. You can ask that team member, hey, Charlie, Anything you want to share, you know, anything potentially that you're uncomfortable with. Hey, team, does anybody disagree? Because it's inviting conflict to come into the place in a healthy way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if we circle back to no negative emotions, the mind thinks the thought, the emotion activates, and in response, you take an action. If we circle back to that, Here's where there's negativity, Greg. There are absolutely negative responses to active emotions. 
There are absolutely negative thoughts that cause emotions to activate. But the emotions in and of themselves are not positive and negative. The emotion is the emotion, period. It's the response that is positive or negative. Right on. But we spend so much time not wanting anybody on the team to to demonstrate anger. Well, we want to hear what's making people angry. That's inclusion. We want on multiple levels. On multiple levels. We want to invite our team members to express what they disagree with. It doesn't mean we have to have consensus, right? But I want the opportunity as a leader, I want to create a culture that is inviting for people to express in a healthy way what they're anxious about, what's making them angry, what's making them happy, what are they excited about? So let me ask you this. This is just kind of coming to mind as we're going through here. It's because it's absolutely fascinating. I noticed you used the words negative emotions quite a bit, but then you did address the fact that emotions are not negative or positive. So that's good. But here's a challenge. Today, with a lot of people still working from home, working remotely, um, their interactions are over Zoom meetings, Google Meets, or whatever. And so there's little boxes. I call it the Hollywood Squares box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to pull out emotions and things of that nature. And emotions are triggered differently when we're by ourselves. Um, what can people do today? In other words, people that are working at home, uh, I mean, the remote workers, the number of people I'm talking to, they're still not going back into an office yet. Yeah. Okay. How, what can they do to get some venting, to let the emotions go? What can leaders do to uh, extrapolate that in meeting? I, I don't know. So help us out here. Yeah. So I... I haven't rehearsed an answer, so I'm taking a second, but I think I'm going to answer with a real life example. Okay. Um, I just, I'm in the process of working with a client who has 75 people who are all remote. It's exactly what you just described. And the interest is in building a greater level of connection among those resources. And again, Greg, I'm, I'm hesitating because this is going to sound really salesy, but they've decided to incorporate emotional intelligence as a practice and to insert some of the tools and the knowledge and the skills. So collectively, that team is all singing from the same song sheet. Mm-hmm. So it, it's raising the way they are engaging with one another. So one of the examples that they brought up is the um, silence death, the the death by silence, where you know there are people who are fuming, you know there are people who are in disagreement, and you just see blank stares, right? So in working on understanding 
what some of those emotions are, that's when you're better equipped to answer your question of what are some of the things that we can do, right? I'm not, I'm not a real big fan. There's a time and place for hacks, right? Like doing some deep breathing or, you know, thinking, redirecting your thoughts to thinking something more pleasant, but I'm not all about that. I'm more about having the ability to navigate those difficult conversations when you're armed and empowered with an understanding of why the different emotions are activating. So if somebody is angry, I'm less about here's a tip or a trick to help you endure the brutality of suffering through this meeting. I'm more about saying, hey, if your anger is active, here's a way that you can articulate it. I might say to you, hey, Greg, would you be willing to start these meetings on time? I get frustrated when I show up on time and others don't show up until 10 or 15 minutes later. And that's when we seem to get started. People don't recognize it, Greg, but that's anger effectively expressed. People are accustomed to anger looking like a an, um, an irresponsible or an inappropriate, I'm sick and tired of these meetings starting late. I'm not going to join anymore. That is an action, a response to anger that's not appropriate. But when you understand why your anger is active, you can articulate a request. You can articulate, here's my concern, guys. I believe that customers have good input, but I don't necessarily believe that the customers should be dictating exactly what we do to enhance our product. Other people might have a different belief, but if I can identify what the emotion is that's active and I can then respond with an appropriate action behaving appropriately. That's, that seems like there's a lot of thought that needs to go into it. And so when somebody's first starting out to work this, do you have any, I'm going to use the word hack for people to be able to start to do this? Because I know when I work with different behavior models, Things that come naturally to me after doing it for 30 some years, not going to come naturally to somebody else right away. I'm trying to follow through with what you're talking about now. And some of your, what your ideas are amazing. I'm sitting here going, okay, I don't know how I can do that. How do I do it? Okay. So, so you ready? Let's go back to the mind. Let's take a, um, a a real, let's go back and find a a workplace incident. Again, maybe meetings not starting on time. Uh, Take that. Let's talk about what the emotion is. Yep. We, can take a di- we can take two different emotions. And then we can talk about the feelings that tie to those emotions and then the actions. Yep. Um, okay. So let's have the circumstance, which is I show up for a meeting. There's an agenda. And the agenda is not being followed. Okay. Okay. So... 
there's a circumstance, the agenda is not being followed. The mind thinks the thought. So my mind thinks the thought, this is, this is rude. This is unproductive. This violates one of my values and beliefs. That's anger. Mm -hmm. So in response to my anger that's activated, going back to the same example or kind of similar approach, I can make a request. I can speak up and I can say, hey, facilitator or team lead, could we stick to the defined agenda and always adding a why to your request is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Could we stick to the agenda? Because I'm concerned that some of those topics that are equally as important are not going to get addressed in the time that we have allocated. Here's another thing that you can consider. Let's take the scenario where you see your boss meeting with a couple of people behind closed doors. So the circumstance or you have, um, I know we don't have that very much with everybody working from home. So let's use the example, your boss cancels an important meeting at the very last minute. The mind is a meaning making machine. So you may think the thought, they've canceled the machine, they've canceled the meeting because something serious is about to happen. So if we go back to the mind is a meaning-making machine, it has to interpret the circumstance. And in the absence of complete information, your mind will fill in the blanks. So catching yourself in how you fill in the blanks. Right. Some people will fill it in with negativity. Some people fill it in with something positive. Absolutely. Some might say, oh, my gosh, the company's being sold. Somebody else might say, oh, wow, the company might get sold or we might have a new investor or we might be getting whatever. So there's two different directions. And you said, give me give me two different emotions. Right. So you can see the connection. My boss cancels the meeting last net last minute. One thought is, oh, my gosh, there's something bad looming. The company's going to be acquired. And that triggers the emotion of anxiety. Alternatively, I might think the thought, woohoo, it's end of year. They're probably talking about increased bonuses and excitement would be the emotion that would activate. Or it could be another anxiety emotion like, oh, I wonder what my bonus will be. Yes, yes. Because that also could be an anxiety moment. So now there's an example where anxiety could be both positive and negative. Am I right? Well, I'm going to I'm going to clarify and I'm going to okay. say to your point earlier, because it's a little bit uncomfortable for me, but it's true. What you said, my approach to emotional intelligence is not just sailing along at the 30,000 foot view. I'm all about the deep dive, yep. but I'm all about the deep dive, knowing the benefits are game changing. Okay. So I'm going to do the deep dive with you on anxiety. Okay. Okay. So here's the definition of fear and anxiety. They're, they're close cousins to each other. Fear and anxiety are the emotions that activate when there is a threat or a perceived threat to your physical or emotional wellness. 
okay? Your physical and emotional safety and wellness. The difference between fear and anxiety is anxiety is future-based. Fear is real-time right here, right now. Excitement is the emotion that activates. It's, in essence, the opposite of anxiety. Okay. Excitement is future-based, and it's when you are thinking about an upcoming event, something in the future for which you're optimistic and feeling enthused about. That's one of the best definitions I've ever heard. It and it's, and and to me the takeaway, Greg, is when you can name the emotion. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the phrase "name it to tame it." You know, the the pleasant emotions, the uh, you know emotions that we like to experience. Well, we're not really worried about navigating those, but when you're navigating the challenging emotions, if you can name it and tame it, you're automatically better positioned, more empowered to navigate it more effectively. So let's look at some other emotions. I love the idea of being able to name it and tame it. Because then it gives us, it's able to do it and we've got to be able to do that ourselves for ourselves. That That's sometimes is the hardest part is being able to identify our emotion. Yes. Okay. So do you have any tricks, tips, techniques, strategies, ideas? Help me, I'm melting uh, thoughts on how to identify the emotions that we're starting to feel. Your questions are great questions. And I would go back to self-awareness as being fundamental to emotional intelligence, right? So if we use the key concept of filling in the blanks, that's an example of gaining self-awareness around when I am filling in the blanks and that's causing the consequence of certain emotions to activate. Another thing that you can do is that it can be very helpful to visualize, am I playing the role? Am I wearing my Judge Judy robe or my lab coat from the scientist? So if I'm wearing the Judge Judy robe, that's when I'm tending to engage in a way where I'm, you know, wanting people to understand me rather than me understanding them. It's more important to me that I'm heard rather than my ability to hear others. So the Judge Judy robe, that's when I'm engaging with judgment, passing judgment. I think I'm right. The scientist lab coat, that's when I'm engaging with curiosity, et cetera. It's hard for me to answer your question, Greg, because it's it's no the based on it's based on the need of understanding what each emotion is, what each emotion, why each emotion is designed to activate. Here, okay. Here's an example. If you know anger is the emotion that activates when someone does something or something happens, 
that violates one of your values or beliefs. That That's a foundational understanding of anger. Well, you know what guilt is? Anger is outward focused. Guilt is the same emotion. It's just inward focused. So anger is the emotion that activates when stuff going on in my external world violates one of my values and beliefs. Guilt is the emotion that activates when I myself do something that's in violation with my values and beliefs. So you say, okay, if, if I'm in a meeting and I'm, you know, interrupting or I'm just so excited and I'm going on and on and on. And then I realize I've been talking too much. My guilt is likely to activate and a suitable action for guilt is to make amends. So I might apologize, right? Take it a step further. Guilt. That's when I myself violate one of my beliefs. I behave in a way that's in Mm -hmm. conflict with my values and beliefs. Guilt is about a behavior, an incident, whereas shame, shame is about an individual's self-worth. So when guilt activates, it's I did something bad. When shame activates, it's I am bad. And Greg, the amount of feedback that leaders give unknowingly that is causing shame in their teams is you you would yeah. be if you could see it <laughs> right that mm-hmm. if you could see that it's incredible the damage that is being done in that area you want your employees to feel guilty that that's an unusual thing to say, right? But and, if go ahead, and if you want them to another way, I think some of the five most powerful words are "I am proud of you." Mm-hmm. Okay, being able to say those five words to somebody, "I'm proud of you," "I'm proud of the way you did this," "I'm proud of this," that just really starts to bring the strength back in them. Am I, am I on the right path there? Absolutely, absolutely. And and when you understand emotions. Again, not in the context of a therapeutic setting, mm-hmm. but in a plain and simple become no educated view. in human emotions, you as a leader start to engage in a way that's based off of your understanding and go back to what we kicked off with. There's a thought behind every emotion that activates. And Greg, there is an emotion behind every action we take. So as a, it's a leader- It's a complete circle. It's a constant running circle. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, to not be armed and informed with a working knowledge, a practical working knowledge of why each of your emotions activate, you're at a disadvantage. But that's where most organizations are functioning today. Interesting. I, it's I'm, very I'm sorry. I'm just fascinating. My mind is going 14 million different directions at one point, mm-hmm. but that's just my ADD going off on me. I think. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've, I, I've, I own the the URL called Emotional Literacy, and I also purchased Empowered by Emotions, 
And I've remained firm that empowered by emotions really summarizes very succinctly what I want for people in the work in the business world. Mm-hmm. I want them to be empowered by their emotions. I don't want them to be disempowered exactly. by them. So right. are there, I don't know if it's a loaded question or not. Are there, a, are there emotions? Are there like a list of emotions that we all have? Yeah. And so I'm just trying to get an idea here. Sure. Certain emotions, then we can look at our actions of, okay, this is my emotion that I can, I'm trying to, I'm doing my logical yeah. thing. Okay. So, so again, if you ask a hundred researchers and clinicians and mm-hmm. thought leaders who study in the space of emotional intelligence, you're going to get to use your words, 101 answers, right? Right. So there's lots of different ways that people cut the pie around emotions. What I can say is I call them the frequent flying emotions, right? Are there most standard basic emotions like anger, guilt, fear, anxiety, jealousy, envy, sadness, excitement, basic emotions? Yes, yes. What people don't realize is emotions activate with varying levels of intensity. They can activate with a mild level of intensity or a moderate level or an intense level. And there are synonyms for the same emotion activating in varying levels of intensity. So let's take anger. Miffed might be a synonym for anger activating with mild intensity, whereas irate, livid, those are synonyms for Mm -hmm. anger activating with high intensity. Okay. So, so the answer that I would give, I I teach with a dozen frequent flying emotions because it it covers the basis, right? But are there ultimately, you know, Brene Brown's latest book on the um, Atlas of the Heart, she talks about them as emotions and experiences. Because again, is it an emotion or is it an experience? You know, if you're dreading something, is that an emotion or is that an experience? But basically, there's not an endless list and I think it can be helpful when you understand there are synonyms for right. a standard set of emotions. Okay. When we look at things like anger and anxiety, they do serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. But, let's, let's explore yeah. that as we get ready to wrap up today because we've already yeah. been going for a while. Okay. So when you look specifically at anxiety, right? People have, you know, a a lot of negativity associated with the anger or with the emotion of anxiety. And I say, don't blame the emotion. It's functioning as designed. If you have a very important meeting this Friday and you're unfamiliar, let's say you're used to using, you're used to using Zoom and you're going to be using Microsoft Teams and Yeah. And there are going to be 50 people and your slides aren't done and you're going to be presenting with a co-presenter. 
your anxiety is going to activate, Craig, and it is activating to tap you on the shoulder, get your attention, and prompt you to start prioritizing the things that need to be done so you are better prepared for when Friday arrives. Your anxiety, again, it's future-based around a, a potential threat to your wellness. Well, if you show up in front of those 50 you know, leaders and you don't do a good job and you completely mess up with the technology, it absolutely could put your reputation at risk. So again, each one is designed to serve a purpose. Anger, it can sound crazy, but anger, Greg, is actually a pro-social emotion. If we get good at engaging with our anger, it gives one another line of sight into our different beliefs. If I get good at expressing the things that aren't in alignment with what I think is right, it gives you greater insight into who I am as a person and what's important to me. And if I'm your leader, then the more I know about you and what gives you the, it's. Yes. But that's where we're working in the positive way of it, because there's enough people out there who do, as I said earlier, uh, know what buttons to push to tick people off and they like to push those buttons. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, it's, I, I say, you know, the whole goal is to work with your emotions rather than against them so you can navigate conflict with greater ease and effectiveness, right? The, the whole and just don't let somebody push those buttons. So when they try to push them, that's where we work with our emotions. If I'm understanding yes. you correctly. Yes, yes. Okay. I just had somebody, I, I have a large dog. I was just walking my dog the other Tucker. evening. Yes, and Tucker is trained to sit and lay down if there's another dog walking by that he wants access to, right? Mm. So he's very friendly and he wants to play with everybody. Not everybody wants to play with him. I, really, so, I understand that comment exactly. Yes. So last night I was walking and a couple walked by with a little dog and Tucker immediately went down on the ground and put went down into the down position. And the guy was walking towards me and he called out, what are you going to do? Just stand there? And I, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll just stay here. It keeps him calm and, until you all walk by. And he turned around and he and his partner went in the opposite direction in a huff. Well, one of the things with emotional intelligence is to not take things personally. And I did a quick, immediate review to say, within my belief system, do I think I did anything inappropriate? Because if I had, my guilt would have activated and I would have apologized. But the fact that he was frustrated that I was standing there and turned around, I didn't take it personally. No. And the key no. is, Greg. And he, and he took it personally or something. Correct. And, mm -hmm. and I don't, it's, it's his, right? Mm -hmm. But the key of why I'm bringing this up is if you can equate that to little interactions of people pushing your buttons, if you don't know how to navigate things effectively, 
the impact that that has on productivity. I could have very easily gone home, called a friend and talked about this knucklehead that I had seen in the park. That's a lot of wasted productivity. And when you think of the impact in the workplace, it's significant. And that happens way too often in our commute to or from work. You know, we have a problem with the driver. They cut us off and we're screaming about that driver all the way to work and all day long and on the way home. Yes. None of the drivers long since forgotten about us. Yes. We cannot let that drive our emotion. Agreed. Yeah. I would love to have you back and explore this deeper. Um, we're just, I, we're limited on time here just because of everything. Well, I would, uh, I would welcome. This is fascinating. Yeah. I would welcome that opportunity. How do people get hold of you? So the the best way, if they are on Instagram or LinkedIn, so on Instagram, it's Empowered by Emotions. I have a podcast, Empowered by Emotions, that you can go to whatever podcast player that you use Mm -hmm. um, and look up Empowered by Emotions. On LinkedIn, I'm there as Lisa Welsher. And then my website is Empowered by Emotions as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Empoweredbyemotions.com is how they can find you there. Yes. Yep. Awesome. And that has the links to the social media platforms as well. I don't know about everybody listening right now, but I know I'm going to go back and listen to this a couple of more times to get some ideas and tips. Um, just because I think the information is powerful on so many fronts. For those of you working by yourselves or working in an office, whether you're face-to-face or working remotely, it does not matter. Um, the information here, as with a lot of our guests, is applicable both in our professional lives and our personal lives. Yes. Okay. That's the power of what we've got to do. We have to take control of ourselves before we can begin to lead others. Absolutely. And so I think that's powerful. Lisa, thank you very much. Folks, just remember this. Once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, our guests will share skills, ideas that you can implement on immediately. And Lisa has given us several of those today. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.